The following is an excerpt from a 1965 newscast in which Bob Hoover spoke with Richard Hobb, who explained what he did to the girl. All I did was write out that thing on her stomach, and I hit her about 10 or 15 times. But how come? Well, most because the girl he told me to. Disclaimer. In this chapter, we will be discussing child abuse, torture, sexual abuse, and murder in sometimes graphic detail. This will be the only warning. Please do not listen if you're sensitive to any of these topics. Today, we are going to dive into the Likens case. True crime junkies will know a lot about this case already, but it never fails to shock me every time I go through it. You know, I've read through the story lots of times, but every single time it's just disgusting. You know, the name isn't ringing a bell. What? I know. What? I know. What? Like I, I read serious? a little bit, I read a little bit, and it's reminding me a little bit of the Vera Joe case. Uh-huh. But uh, You don't know this. Not off the top of my head. My memory is not the greatest okay. right now, so okay. maybe as we go through it, it'll come to me. But mm-hmm. as of right now, I'm not familiar. Okay. Well, let me know when it starts uh, ringing bells, because you had to have heard of it. <laughs> right. Well, I'm looking at the year, and I just, I don't, uh, I don't know. <laughs> at 16 years old, Sylvia was increasingly neglected belittled, sexually humiliated, beaten, starved, lacerated, burned, and dehydrated by her tormentors. Her autopsy showed 150 wounds across her body, including several burns, scald marks, and eroded skin. So that's just a little bit more towards the disclaimer of what we're going to be getting into here. Sylvia Marie Likens was born on January 3rd, 1949. She was the third child of Lester and Elizabeth Likens. She had four siblings, which were two sets of twins. One set of twins was older while the other was younger. She was the middle child, literally. One of the younger twins, Jenny, had a limp leg due to polio and Sylvia took care of her. She was kind of like, it happens often. She just, she naturally fell into the role of the one expected to take care of Jenny. Mm -hmm. One of their favorite things to do would be to go skating. Sylvia would take the time to put the one skate on Jenny and she would just hold her hand and hold her up so that she could skate with and like all the other kids. Right? She really cared about her. In 1965, Sylvia met Paula and Stephanie Banaszewski. Sorry if I don't say that right, but uh, that last name is the last name of this evil, treacherous family. They met at Arsenal Technical High School, and on June 3rd, 1965, Sylvia's mother was arrested for shoplifting. Lester, Sylvia's father, sold concessions at carnivals and usually took the boy siblings with him, but he could not bring his daughters. Since the Likens and Banasuski girls got along, Lester decided to send Sylvia and Jenny to live with Gertrude. So Gertrude is Paula and Stephanie's mother. 
he agreed to pay $20 each week for their board and care. Gertrude promised to care for the girls as if they were her own. Let's get into that bitch. (laughs) Gertrude was born on September 19th, 1928. She married John Stefan Banaszewski at 16 years old. The couple had four children together. John became physically violent toward Gertrude, and she divorced him in 10 years. Hmm. Weeks later, she married Edward Guthrie. He, too, turned out to be abusive, and they divorced within months. Gertrude then remarried her first husband, had two more children, and divorced for the second time. Wow. Wow, wow. Right? Like, this woman. Next, Gertrude met 22-year-old Dennis Lee Wright, and the unwed couple had one son together, Dennis Jr., in 1965. Dennis abandoned Gertrude and the baby. So why did we kind of run through that really quickly? Because by 1965, Gertrude was a haggard, chain-smoking single mom of seven living in squalor at 3850 East New York Street in Indianapolis, Indiana for $55 a month. Hmm. $55 a month. Imagine that. That's crazy. I know it's back in the day. (laughs) Yeah, it's back in the day and... It didn't cost that much, but $55 still seems like super low. Mm -hmm. At first, the Banaszewski family treated Sylvia and Jenny kindly. The Likens and Banaszewski girls spent time singing popular songs and gossiping about boys. They were typical girl besties, I guess, really. Gertrude was known for creating a home, though, that accepted and welcomed bad behavior from the neighborhood kids. They could drink, smoke, and even have raunchy sex talks around Gertrude. The neighborhood kids would come and go as they pleased, and uh, I think Gertrude got a kick out of it, truly. Sylvia and Jenny shared a bedroom with 11-year-old Marie and 10-year-old Shirley and 8-year-old Jimmy. So, squalor. (laughs) The room had one mattress on the floor that five children took turns sleeping in. Terrible. Lester Likens never stepped foot in the home of the woman he hired to care for his daughters. If he had, he would have noticed that there weren't enough beds. The house had a hot plate where the stove should have been. Gertrude was in no position to take in children. Gertrude was suffering for money. Without the weekly $20, she had no way to feed all nine children and still pay rent. She was glad that Lester paid $20 up front, but when the future payments arrived late, or not at all, she became enraged. Yeah. The Lycan sisters became the object of Gertrude's rage. After the first late payment, she dragged Jenny up the stairs and whipped her with a leather belt. The money arrived in the mail the day after the first spanking. So if she had just waited just a little bit, she would have gotten the money. Sylvia and Jenny's father came a few days later and gave another advance payment. The sisters said nothing of the beating. They were always too afraid to talk. When Gertrude learned that Sylvia was recycling pop bottles for cash, she beat her with a quarter-inch wooden paddle. She hit her repeatedly across the back and head. 
When Gertrude became weak due to her chronic bronchitis, she handed the paddle to Paula. The abuse increased in frequency and severity. They say that Gertrude may have felt sorry for Jenny due to her fragile state with her limp leg, because by August of 1965, Gertrude concentrated all of her abuse on Sylvia. One time, Sylvia admitted she had a boyfriend in California. Gertrude was disgusted, and so was her daughter, Paula, who repeatedly kicked Sylvia in her vaginal area and accused her of being pregnant. Wow. Like, you can't make this shit up. They literally repeatedly kicked her there. To add to the abuse, Gertrude also started using other basic necessities in life to torture Sylvia. Sylvia began to forage for food in dumpsters due to Gertrude starving her. When Gertrude caught Sylvia foraging, she, Paula, and a neighbor child named Randy Lepper forced her to eat a hot dog loaded with a bunch of condiments and spices. When Sylvia threw up, the three monsters made her eat the vomit. Good Lord. Yeah, this... uh, Is it ringing any bells? Because it would have by now, I think. No, it's not, but I might just be... You've looked at so many cases, maybe just forget this one. Yeah, and I mean, it's so similar to the Vera Regal. So it is. And in fact, when you did Vera, it made me think of this one. And this is why I ended up doing this one. Because, like, I hadn't really heard much about Vera, but I I was thinking this is kind of familiar. Mm -hmm. But I went, I'm thinking of Sylvia. Right. Um so the girls returned to school in the fall, which pleased their father and helped the Hell House keep up appearances. But behind closed doors, the abuse only worsened. Gertrude accused Sylvia of spreading rumors that Paula and Stephanie were prostitutes. Gertrude would give the girls trouble right in front of her own children and their friends. This showed her kids that they could treat Sylvia horribly and get away with it. In one instance, Stephanie's 15-year-old boyfriend, Coy Hubbard, attacked Sylvia as Stephanie snickered and Gertrude taunted Sylvia by calling her terrible names. Gertrude accused Sylvia of stealing gym clothes. As punishment, she burnt her fingertips with a lit match while screaming that she hated Sylvia and how she was ruining her life. Somehow, the subject turned to Sylvia's alleged promiscuity. Gertrude warned Sylvia not to do anything with boys until she was married, and Sylvia replied she hadn't and wouldn't, which only infuriated Gertrude. She took it as talking back. Gertrude allegedly then shrieked as she kicked Sylvia's pubic area repeatedly. Slash pelvis, honestly, but... Wow. Kicking Sylvia did not give Gertrude the full satisfaction that she was seeking. She made Sylvia strip naked, and that is when they inserted a glass cola bottle into her vagina while her child accomplices watched and laughed. Uh, like I'm speechless. I, I, don't, I don't know how people can be like this. Full abuse. Full abuse. Horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible. 
Sylvia's parents checked on their daughters on October 5th. The girls didn't tell their parents as, again, they were afraid that, you know, their parents would leave them there and it would only make things worse. Gertrude banned the girls from seeing their sister, Diana, which was the only other sister. And um, so the parents are seeing the girls. I wonder, I mean, they must have been being fed and bathed, and you know. They seen her October 6th. So at this point, she got a couple of um, spankings, a lot of mental abuse and the bottle in the vagina. So, like, this is a few months, but there is a turn that goes worse. Oh. Yeah. So, after that, Gertrude told the school Sylvia had no interest in going and pretended to be concerned. But in reality, after this visit, Gertrude banned Sylvia to the cold basement. Coy became one of Sylvia's primary attackers again he is stephanie's boyfriend wow. he enjoyed body slamming sylvia forcefully onto the concrete basement and tying her up for days at gertrude's command kids from the school visited the residence and participated in sylvia's torture gertrude coached them step by step Jeez, she sounds just like sugar babe right just so crazy and like kids were, would get away with things around her so they wanted to please her so that they can continue like that she was the cool house when really it was just filth nothing was off limits if the children wanted to practice judo gertrude had them practice on sylvia some kids put cigarettes out on sylvia's skin and uh, gertrude would actually bathe sylvia in scalding hot water until her skin blistered why? 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 Torture. Literally just to torture her. Yeah. Paula once beat Sylvia's face until she broke her wrist. Doctors put a cast on her arm while Paula bragged about exactly how she broke it. And when she got home, she continued to hit Sylvia, but now with her cast. Oh, my God. Gertrude used a needle to carve the letter I into the flesh of Sylvia's abdomen Unable to finish the full statement, she encouraged her 15-year-old neighbor, Richard Hobbs, to complete the task. He carved into her belly, quote, I am a prostitute and proud of it. At Gertrude's request, Richard heated a metal hook and attempted to brand the letter S on Sylvia's chest, but instead branded her with the number three. Hoover then spoke to one of the Banachevsky children, who told him how the victim was treated. She refused food. We tried to get her soup every once in a while, and stuff like that, and she wouldn't take it. Well, how about these scratch marks on her stomach? Who put them on her? I did. Why? Well, Gertie just thought of it. She said, since you branded us, we're going to brand you, so she... It's dinner with a pen, and I went over it. She showed me how to do it, and then I went over it. I, I did it. Did you ever use any hot irons on it? No. Yeah, I, that three in her stomach, I did half of that. Mm-hmm. Shirley Ann did the other half. Where'd the S come from? What do you mean? There's a big S branded on her stomach, right? That's, one of her breath. Huh? that's what I'm talking about. Well, that's what you're talking about. Well, how about the inscription on there, I'm a prostitute and proud of it. Who put that on? I did. Did you scratch it on there, paint it on there? How'd you do it? Well, like I said before, Gertie wrote it down there with a pen and I did the rest. Mm. She showed me how to do it then. Had Gertie abused this girl? Yeah. Gertrude Banachevsky, however, had a different story. I did never beat that girl. Never. 
she was beat up on by other girls and thank my own daughter softly in the jaw and broke her wrist. And uh, so, I mean, there you go. And, and, and girls around the neighborhood beat her up, bloodied her nose. I, one girl broke her nose, in fact, I think. Were you ever in contact with the police on any of these occasions? Well, in the last few weeks, uh, in fact, um, uh, I think if, if you talk to my daughters, I, I'd ask them that uh, the, the children's father and I are divorced. And he's a policeman in Leechgrove, or was. And uh, I've asked the girls repeatedly, call their dad, and ask them what to do. And in fact, I, I asked Jenny, I said, Jenny, and, and I told Sylvia, I said, Sylvia, I'm going to have to call the police or somebody because I can't have any responsibility. Coy returned and tied Sylvia up in the basement where he slammed her frail body into the wall over and over. Sylvia ended up telling Jenny that she could tell she was going to die. She was in bad shape and she was weak and she was trembling and obviously Jenny was worried. The beatings and torture had taken its toll and Sylvia started to lose control of her limbs. Mm. Gertrude noticed Sylvia was struggling and allowed Sylvia to stay in an upstairs bed. Well, a mattress on the floor. But after Gertrude gave Sylvia a bath when she was upstairs, something changed and she sent her back to the basement and forced her to write the following letter. Quote, to Mr. and Mrs. Likens, I went with a gang of boys in the middle of the night and they said they would pay me. I would give them something. So I got in the car and they all got what they wanted. And when they got finished, they beat me up and left sores on my face and all over my body. And they also put on my stomach. I am a prostitute and proud of it. I have done just about everything that I could do just to make Gertie mad and cause Gertie more money than she's got. I've tore up a new mattress and peed on it. I have also cost Gertie doctor bills that she really can't pay and made Gertie a nervous wreck and all her kids. Just a horrible letter. Just disgusting. Mm. That night, Sylvia heard Gertrude and her children making plans to dump her in the woods. In a last-ditch effort, Sylvia tried to run. Gertrude caught her, dragged her inside, and attempted to feed her toast. They were worried about how she looked, obviously. Not because they were worried about her, but they were worried that anybody would see her and that they would get in trouble. Mm -hmm. Sylvia didn't have the strength to eat, and Gertrude struck her face with a curtain rod. Her son, John, returned her to the basement. John tied Sylvia's wrist to the basement railing so that she couldn't run again. Her toes barely touched the ground. Gertrude shoved crackers into Sylvia's dry mouth. Sylvia told her she wasn't hungry and suggested that she feed them to the dog. Gertrude then punched Sylvia in her belly, and John force-fed her the contents of baby Denny's diaper as well as her own feces. Good lord. Yeah. It makes me sick just thinking about it. Wow. Like, it's so crazy. October 25th, Gertrude, Cody, and John beat Sylvia until she lost consciousness when Gertrude stomped on her head. When she came to, she gathered up enough strength to bang on the basement floor and walls, hoping someone would help her. No one came. On the morning of October 26th, 1965, Gertrude and Stephanie bathed Sylvia. During her bath, Sylvia stopped breathing. 
the Banaszewskis were terrified. Again, not because they cared, but because they would be caught. Mm-hmm. Stephanie tried unsuccessfully to revive her with CPR. Gertrude placed Sylvia's broken body back on the mattress and instructed Richard to call the cops. Well, she, uh, she I'll come in and about, she come up from the basement and we noticed she's cold and everything, so we carried her upstairs, give her a warm bath and artificial respiration. When, well, she stopped breathing. See, we gave her a warm bath and then she stopped breathing. And so I gave her artificial respiration for about 10 minutes. And then uh, I went and called the police. By the time police found the girl, she had been dead some 8 to 12 hours. Gertrude handed the police Sylvia's letter. She told them Sylvia ran away recently and returned injured, clutching the note. Gertrude faked grief and claimed she was doctoring Sylvia. The officers rounded the hall corner to find Sylvia's emaciated form lying lifeless on a soiled mattress. Deputy Coroner Arthur Kebble noted that Sylvia's lips were practically chewed through and all ten of her fingernails were bent backwards and broken. She had hundreds of wounds on her skin, all of them in different stages of healing, suggesting ongoing trauma. Dr. Charles Ellis performed the autopsy. The cause of death was torture. The police asked Jenny what happened, and she parroted what Gertrude said, but added, quote, you get me out of here and I will tell you everything. No shit. <laughs> like, looking at them, like, get me the fuck out of here and I'm going to tell you what we've been through. Um, and now I just want to go over again the timeline of key events. Um, so July 5th, all in 1965, Lester leaves the girls with Gertrude. By July 11th, you know, the payment's late. Gertrude slaps the girls. By August 1st, Paula breaks her wrists, punching Sylvia. Mid-August, Gertrude accuses Sylvia of stealing. Late August, Phyllis Vermillion witnesses Gertrude abuse Sylvia and does not report it. Early September, Paula chokes Sylvia. October 12th, Sylvia is sent to the basement. October 15th, Phyllis sees Sylvia's beaten and bruised face and again does not report it. October 23rd, Richard Hobbs carves I am a prostitute and proud of it into Sylvia's stomach with a large needle and with 10-year-old Shirley, brands an S on her chest. October 25th, Coy Hubbard beats Sylvia with a broom, knocking her unconscious. October 26th, Sylvia succumbs to her injuries and dies. Cause of death is brain hemorrhage, shock, and malnutrition, which they then explained as torture. Crazy. Sadly, the perpetrators received little to no jail time for their crimes of taking the life of a 16-year-old girl whose only crime was being left in the care of the Banasuski family. Gertrude was sentenced to life in prison, but shockingly and against the outcry of the public, she was paroled in 1985, which was only 20 years after the death of Sylvia. She died five years later of lung cancer in 1990. I hope she suffered. I hope she suffered so much. And also, like, Paula, who was 17 at the time, was convicted of second-degree murder before having her conviction overturned in 1971 due to a technicality. She pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter and got 2 to 21 years. 
Once again, the law seems to be mocking Sylvia by paroling Paula in 1972, despite an attempted prison break. Richard Hobbs, who was 15, was convicted of manslaughter and served two years. He also died of cancer, but at the age of 21. Karma. Right? Okay, karma. That's a good way to put it. So John Benazuski... 13, was convicted of manslaughter and served two years, he is the only member of that family to show any remorse for his crimes. He was 13 years old. Mm -hmm. He probably lives with some serious PTSD from his own actions and guilt and horrible. Stephanie, 15, had all charges against her dropped. Marie, 11, was never charged and was the only member of that family to cry during the trial. Shirley, who was 10, despite her active participation, was never charged. She was 10. I don't know. I I feel like she should get some serious therapy. Yeah, and I I think that their sense of right and wrong was like, horribly skewed because of their the mother and, a, mm-hmm. and older siblings so like no chance with the pack yeah she had no chance of being any better than what she was mm-hmm. um coy hubbard 15 you know stephanie's boyfriend mm-hmm. he participated in the beatings and the torture and he was convicted of manslaughter and served two years as well he was tried for another murder in 1982 but acquitted wow Altogether, Sylvia's abusers and torturers served 33 years for their crimes. Horrible. Not justice. Not justice in the slightest. Like, just, it, it, it's one of those cases that have, like, just disgusted people and history in true crime. Like, it hits hard and it hits fucking long and hard. Like, it's, it's one that people look back on and they're like, we need to make sure that this shit never happens again. So to end it off, not talking about that horrible family. Um, though, actually, I do kind of want to share one more tidbit. Paula and maybe it's Stephanie. I know Paula for sure. I'm not sure which of the other sisters. They once they got out, somehow got careers and jobs in teaching uh, elementary schools, which to me is just weird. Mm -hmm. Protect the children, bro. Um, But Jenny Likens married and had children of her own. She lived long enough to read Gertrude's obituary, which she mailed to her mother with a letter that read, quote, some good news. Damn old Gertrude died. Ha ha ha. I am happy about that. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Fair. Fair. <laughs> the death of Sylvia Likens continues to haunt Indianapolis as the worst crime ever committed in the state. Which, I mean, no shade on Indiana at all, but especially recently, um, Delphi Murders, Kagan Klein, and the absolute slew of um, child predator cases that are mm-hmm. coming out of that state, that's saying a lot. 
it is saying a lot and actually there are photos and I'm gonna show you so that's the photo that like is everywhere so that's what she looked like but that's her in that bed oh, wow just messed right up brutalized brutalized Poor yeah child. so sad her feet are like ugh. it's so crazy the house sat empty for decades before it was leveled you know just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the floor uh, but now it's a church parking lot a memorial dedicated to sylvia's memory stands in willard park where sylvia used to play absolutely disturbingly disgusting evil truly does exist it does and i think we show that uh at least twice a week (laughs) literally (laughs) at least twice a week which what story are you working on now ah it's hard to stay because i don't know when we're going to be releasing said well just like what story can the listeners expect in the future slash near future in may let's say Actually, right now, I am enthralled with the Letitia Stock case, mm. um, the murder of little 11-year-old Gannon Stock. Mm. He, um, this woman is completely, like, we've seen Casey Anthony and her lies. We've seen other... Allegedly murders. lies alleged lies (laughs) whatever i don't even care she's a liar i'm gonna do that case i decided yeah it'll be speculation but this leticia is leticia is beyond anything i've ever seen it's it's mind-boggling it really is so i'm working on that case i'm i'm also trying to get some new facts about summer wells investigation to put that together um there are a couple of other Older cases that I'm working on, one of the bigger ones is uh, Ted Bundy. I want to make sure that I cover everything with that case. It's been covered to death, I know, but... Yeah. um, And I think that, you know, starting in May, I'm going to start looking at doing some updates because June is a very exciting month for true crime and criminal justice. We've got... Actually, uh, Kagan Klein being sentenced on May 18th. And then after that, June 15th and 16th, we've got Richard Allen, Delphi murder suspect, um, having his, um, bail hearing. Um, and then, of course, Brian Kohlberger, Idaho 4, will be hopefully holding his plea agreement on June 26th. So, yeah. Those are the main ones, and then I've got other side stories that I'm working on. But uh, but yeah, the Letitia Stock one is definitely a big one. We're still in trial. I think today we're on day 13 of the trial, mm-hmm. and it's expected mm-hmm. to last five weeks. Wow. So we've got a ways to go for that one. But uh, hmm. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that Barbie movie is coming out, so I think I might do the, the Ken and Barbie Canadian oh boy. killers. Yeah, I actually... You know, I was thinking of doing Russell Williams and I was I was watching some stuff over the weekend about and I didn't know this that Paul Bernardo went to this Collegiate um high school and college in Ontario. I guess Russell Williams um also went to that same school around the same time. They were just a couple of years apart. Hmm. Rumor has it that they knew of each other. 
um, from academia, from their schooling. Interesting. Like passing each other in the hallways and and whatnot. So Hmm. very small world. Interesting small world. It's the biggest province out there, but Russell Williams went on to become a colonel in the Canadian military. Um, Paul Bernardo did nothing mm-hmm. good with his life whatsoever. No. But, um, but yeah, the Paul Bernardo, I think the bigger story there is Carla Homoka serving t- uh, 12 years, deal with the devil. And the more I read about it, the more I don't understand how they were able to go through with that deal. So I would be super excited to hear your take on that case. Can't wait. No, I'm obsessed with that one too. So it'll be a fun one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and looking into the possible connection between him and and Russell Williams, which is not easy to do because Canada is not like the states with their stories and their web sleuthing. We don't have all of the insider information. There's actually a really good link for the Bernardo trial archives that I'll send you. Um, but yeah, it'll be exciting. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five-star rating, it'll help our show grow. Check out our TikTok where you can find interesting photos and content on all released episodes. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube at True Crime Story Podcast, where the discussion can continue. If you wish to contact us, you may do so via email at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. I'm Bree. I'm sure. And we'll see you on the next chapter. Bye. Bye.